Well, hello and welcome to episode number 328 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, a flying club in Norfolk aims uh, and launches a new course to get old aviation off the ground. There's a world first coming out of Dubai as free COVID medical cover is offered by one airline and we're going green with an eco demonstrator and a 70-seater hybrid. In the military, we're keeping with the green theme and we explore the possibility of a battery-powered fighter jet and a cow gets stuck in a riverbank. Nev takes us back to Gibraltar as we revisit his chat with Trevor Hammond and the Nats general manager and Matt and I share our experience at the world's first ever drive-in air show so joining me this week in the ptuk master studio with lots of broken laptops it's matt smith uh, yes that that is i think that's the theme for today isn't it yes is all of the uh, my I, my lovely macbook has just gone tech basically which is uh proving to be slightly challenging so uh, apologies if things go terribly wrong today i'm going to blame it on a te- mass tech failure of laptops we were literally l- scrabbling around like carlos was about to jump in his van bring me another <laughs> laptop uh, just so that we could get on air because uh, uh, yeah I-, I thought for one minute i was going to be reading the show notes on my phone at one point i don't know what's going on here but never well, just as well you've not got a nokia 3310 and otherwise you, you would be um <laughs> Excuse Duffed. me, I'll have you know, the Nokia 3310 was a quality brick, I'll have you know. <laughs> ne- Nev's, Nev's laughing, he still has his. Has his. Yes, anyway, <laughs> joining us uh, this week, he's back from his Bahamas holiday, it's Neville Barnes. Well, it wasn't quite that, it was the Bahamas. <laughs> and I think we're allowed to go there at the moment, are we? Probably. No, probably uh, not. No, no, Scotland was very nice indeed. Uh, Auntie Nicola let us into the country, and 1,700 miles later, we are back. And the weather was superb. A couple of days of the odd bit of rain here and there, but the uh, Scottish countryside, especially around the highlands and that part of the country, takes a lot of beating and uh, absolutely fantastic. And uh, great to be back. It's one of my favourite places to go, actually. I've I've got uh, one of my best friends actually lives... um, very near to a place called Kenmore, um, and I remember spend, spending um, one Easter like on, on in his like holiday home that he had that overlooked the the, the you know overlooked um, Loch Tay, and it was just oh it was just beautiful. It's such a it's it's so vast, isn't it? That's it. There's so much of it that you feel like you're going to a completely different world, don't you? Yes. The only thing I would say is that uh, most of the locals don't have time for people like me because I just wanted to drive quite slowly to enjoy the view but uh, they're in a rush uh, to get home or to go from A to B so uh, they, yeah. they weren't really tolerating my ride. Did you have any haggis Nev or not? Uh, no I gave that a miss uh, I have okay. had that before it's not one of my favourites. Oh I love haggis I'm, I'm a big fan of haggis I am Okay. That's okay. because you like weird foods Matt. How rude yeah this is coming from the guy who, this coming from the guy who gets really stressed about curry seriously. Oh well, yeah <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, uh, Richard Adams, Adams says you weren't savage, savage by midges by any chance. Yeah. No, I wasn't actually, which is unusual because <laughs> down by the lock, uh, it can get like that. So, yeah. But no, not at all. We were pretty well, uh, pretty well escaped all of that, I'm pleased to say. Well, quite. 
I'm glad you had a good time, Nev. I'm glad, glad try to say time. that three times over after three beers. Well, quite. Savage, yes. savage by midges. Savage yeah. by midges. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so don't don't get yeah don't get midges and midgets mixed up because that's a, that's a whole different meal. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> anyway, Graham Haggis says nothing wrong with Haggis. See, Graham Haggis. Graham Haggis is with me on that one, Haley. Graham Haggis. <laughs> anyway, I've only had two moving beers, swiftly on. Yeah. Moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on before we get a G rating. Anyway. Uh, is uh, joining us this week, as you heard just then, is, of course, the man who loves to throw people out of his aircraft. Oh. It's Armando. That's not a nice what thing an out- to say. <laughs> what an outstanding segue, Carlos. That's, that's I've literally word. done more of that than money earning flying. Wow. No, I, so so uh, last Saturday, after we recorded on Friday, I went down to Steph's drop zone. And what a different operation. Totally awesome. They had... Uh, just a much much bigger operation than we had uh, than we have at, at my drop zone and i actually got to fly the otter um <gasps> the twin otter or as captain nick says Boop. uh we won't <laughs> say that word on here but uh yeah it was cool that's a that's my first time flying an otter and it's busy so steph uh, the the gentleman that she flies with had nothing but compliments about about her flying abilities, and it's it is a straight up old school airplane with a lot of uh, moving of gadgets and levers, <laughs> and it's all analog and very very cool. Oh. Yeah, other than uh, that, uh, ah man, it was so cool, so cool. I'm guessing that's the same as the one they use in the Maldives, Armando, on for the float planes. The similar kind. I of think setup. so. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think there's probably different setups. Some of them are, are more, I don't know, modernized than, than mm. other ones. This one seemed to be pretty old school, which is the kind of flying that I like to do. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, on Sunday I did my own skydive flying. I'll, I'll do that again uh, this Sunday. And other than that, just sat reserve in Atlanta with the family, which was just a, a pretty cool time. I didn't get called out, which means we just got to enjoy Atlanta as much as we could in a social distancing and and this, this, this is a so. really, really nosy question that you can tell me to go away if you if you want, Armando. But well, it's it, not like anybody's listening or anything. No, well, no, go ahead, point, good point. Yes, absolutely. I just, is it when you do the sky? Because you do, as you say, you, you do an awful lot of the sort of the, the the skydiving stuff. Is that all voluntary, or do you get a bit of beer money for that? No, I'm an employee. I get I get paid. Oh, that's right. I, uh, that's no, no, we we do get paid. I think uh, people do it for different reasons. I think the staff for, is. Well, we can just ask Steph. She's in the chat room. But yes. um, she's getting a lot of great experience with some multi-end and turbine time. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of do it just because it's fun. It's good stick and rudder flying. I, my field is the 2,000-foot grass strip, which is real similar to a lot of the, the strips out there in the, in the UK. Um, so I'm comfortable. But uh, for me, airline flying is great. Uh, but it's very much like take off, put the autopilot on, and you're just a systems monitor. Um, in a good way, right? Um, but I really, really enjoy just kind of manhandling an airplane down to the ground with, you know, surrounded by trees into a grass strip and and um, not really not forgetting what the rudder does. Yeah. Yeah, sort of, yeah, sort of old school back to sort of physically yeah. flying. Yeah. That sounds like fun, Armando. I hope, hopefully, we'll get out next year and I can join you. Oh, yes. I'll throw you out of a plane anytime, Carlos. Yay! Oh, I look forward on. to. I, I can't see you having a parachute strapped to your back, being thrown out of an aeroplane. I can't see. Hell that yeah! Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You've seen, I can say you've done there's, it. You've said it. There's someone, someone sitting not too far away from where I am now who will really not be too impressed with no, that. I but... can imagine. Would that be the wife, by any chance? Yes. <laughs> but hey-ho. Right. That's life. That's what Frank Sinatra said. Okay, anyway, life. moving on. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So those of you who watch the show may remember that uh, me and Matt, we had a little little uh, jaunt out last Saturday to a certain air show. I know. (laughs) And we we actually got to uh, Shuttleworth to the drive-in air show. Luckily, we got there early because there was um, a number of cars (laughs) after we uh, got there. And uh, we had a really, really good day, didn't we, Matt? Well, we certainly did. I mean, it was such an experience, really. In fact, I tell you what, why don't we share with everyone um, the experience we had, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Should we do yeah. that? Here we go. So, as I say, this is mine and Carlos's uh, little visit to the Shuttleworth Collection. Welcome, everyone, to uh, the Shuttleworth Drive-In Air Show. And uh, didn't think I'd be saying the words that we'd be sitting at an air show in 2020 really well organized event actually that's one of the things that surprised me because it as I say we're in an unusual situation because everybody's arriving in their cars and like normally whenever you go to an air show you park miles and miles away from the event and then you jump on the bus and you come onto site and then obviously everybody's crowding for the light for the um, flight line obviously in in this situation we, we sort of queued to get in so I think there was about six cars in front of us wasn't there when we first arrived and then we uh, obviously got directed through to our pitch here and it's great because we've got like um our, our, our little pitch is a what, five meter by five meter area the you know the car is just to to our, our left here and um it's great as i say we've got the windbreak so we've got plenty of space i'm just thinking from a from a punter point it's really interesting because you've got plenty of space as a family to stretch out have a picnic and so sort of, or if you're us obviously piles of tech because we don't like to do things on the light here do we but uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice. There's some vending, food vending areas uh, behind us. Lots of, you know, with any any event like this, lots of chemical toilets. But the one thing that's blowing my mind with all of this is how clean everything is. I mean, it's. I mean, we've all been to the festival Portland that's usually quite horrendous, and and because this is this is just a, a different world, isn't it?
managed to waffle on that long, you should be impressed. <laughs> there we go. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? That was good. That was really good. A really nice day. And, it was. Um, yeah. So yeah, really well, well organised. So well organised. Really mm. well organised. That, that's my, my sort of blow away takeaway from that, really. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, personally, I, you know, there is something about the scrum of the fight line, isn't there? Let's be honest. And, and sort of watching what's going on. And of course, there were a couple of occasions, as you'll probably notice when we're taking those, that video, for example, all it takes, like we had really, where you've got a really tall vehicle that's in front of you. And then suddenly it's really difficult to get some of the... Because, I, mean, I mean, actually, Jonathan Warner, whose uh, a couple of photos were actually in there. So thank you, Jonathan, for, for the, uh, the photos of the glider that we, that, that we had. That was stunning as well. Really enjoyed the glider. Mm. Um, but because that, that's all it takes is to have a tall vehicle that's in front of you. And suddenly you're not able to enjoy, um, you know, like what's, you know, what's running down the, down, down the grass runway. And, and that, was, that was the only negative, if I was to be really hypercritical was the fact that you know and, and yet um i know where jonathan warner was because we did have a social distance chat with him didn't we um at one point where jonathan warner was he had uh, like basically an uninterrupted view of the runway and i mean you know some of those photos that, that he got were were just stunning um uh his uh his uh, flicker feed i think is somewhere on twitter so if you're not following jonathan warner already uh, i think is it is it it's uh johnny copter or something is it on on twitter i seem to require seem to remember um but uh, yeah it was um yeah it was a, a really nice day and I, i'll tell you what was nice as well um obviously when we go to these air shows we're, we're there trying to to sort of get interviews with people and, and get things up you know you know like content for the show basically that's the main reason why we go and i'll be honest it's uh, the first time in such a long time that you and i have been to an air show where we were able to basically enjoy the air show because we weren't having to run off to go and do sort of interviews and stuff so i mean it was very different uh i do miss you know the air show in its traditional form but it was very refreshing and hey let's be honest anything like this and, and i didn't realize it was a world first i genuinely didn't realize that uh we, we'd rocked up at a, at a world first event yeah it was like matt said it was it was well well put together everything was um everything flowed really well matt there was no like l lengthy gaps in between the aircraft that were on display everything was everything just took off straight after each other and the show continued right through until we left literally just as the sun was um sun was setting yeah it was it was a, mm. a wonderful day so i think they're doing one again very soon aren't they um in august yeah, i believe absolutely they're so if, if you've got any sense guys uh it's a great day for the family uh it was 50 quid for the whole car that was the thing it wasn't just like yeah. i mean i think tickets tend to be sort of 25 quid a piece anyway um, but if you're taking the family to be able to take the whole car uh, so it was, it was basically 50 quid per car. So if, if you go on your own, obviously, it's, it's suddenly an expensive day. But, you know, you take your family. Uh, yeah, 2nd of August, I think, uh, is what Graham Haley is saying in the chat room there. So, uh, yeah, but I recommend going if anybody's free on the 2nd of August. Really enjoyed it. So uh, we're going to uh, say hello to everyone in the live YouTube chat room this evening. All the family members in there, all uh, not in nice and early this evening. Mm -hmm. um, Lane Street, hello to you, Lane. Auntie Liz, uh, Jenny in Rome. We've got, uh, just scrolling down, Dr. Steph's in the chat room, obviously keeping an eye on things. Stephen Ivey as well. I hope you're well, Stephen. Uh, James J, it's the first time that he's made it to a live show. So hello to you, James J. 
uh, mashes in there. Graham Haley, I'm sorry, I don't miss anyone else. Uh, scrolling down Lane Street, I, I think I said Lane. Uh, John Jester. Hello to you, John Jester. He's uh, taking time out from uh, flying, I think. Richard Adams. Alan White. Hello to you, Alan, as well. Uh, Jonathan Warner, our resident photographer from Saturday as well, is also in the chat room. Rakon is in the chat room. And uh, actually, Rick Bell is also in the chat room tonight. Yeah, a fleeting well, visit, so, I think, from him. A fleeting visit from Rick. Yeah. So hello to you, everyone who has joined us in there tonight. 24th of July is the date, and uh, just coming up to 20 past 7 this evening. So thanks to everyone who's joined us. And don't forget as well, if you're listening to the audio version and want to join us on our YouTube feed live, uh, just take yourselves over to uh, YouTube and search for Plain Talking UK. And uh, also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Not physically but just click on it and also hit the bell icon as well which is right next to it to be notified when we go live and then you can join us all in the chat room so we have got actually another uh, little piece of information about that competition so uh yeah matt we've got a competition running haven't we yeah we have absolutely uh so uh well, you have basically between now and episode 330 which is rapidly approaching so make sure you get them in soon uh to send us in something that we can play out uh, on the show basically uh the theme is aviation in my life it's a very loose guide so it can be any anything you like really uh but loosely attached to aviation maybe uh the first time that you fell in love with aviation because we want to learn a little bit more about our listeners uh that's what we want to do uh, any feedback written audio it doesn't have to be recorded it can be written down as well uh audio audio visual will do uh, you'll be entered into the draw to win a staggering 150 pound voucher for the plane reclaimers website kindly donated by andrew keegan who was on us back on back with us on episode 324 i think it's also worth mentioning uh, it's not just open to the pe- to people here in the uk it is open to everyone, everyone literally everyone they will ship uh, everywhere basically and um you know their their their, their um postage rates are very 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 good actually uh, we've we've had a few items arrive i've had a few items arrive today uh, that uh, arrived in the studio in fact shall i get it one moment Yes, you can actually. While you're uh, while you're on that subject, there, Matt, on that. So, plane reclaimers. If you take yourselves actually over to the plane reclaimers shop, they've actually got some really good stuff on their shop, which has been added uh, this week, which you can go in and and, uh, and purchase for that one hundred and fifty pound. And actually, on that note, if you are a lover of flight deck seats, as in the seats that the um, the pilots sit on on the flight deck, they've actually got the actual full sheet. Uh, was it the sheep or sheep fur covered uh, flight deck seats on there, which you can actually purchase to have at uh, home, which is really quite good. And uh, I'm sure. And yeah, that also comes with a free divorce if I purchase that. So I'm probably <laughs> going to give that a yeah, miss. Okay, so, uh, right. So here we go. So this is the this is one item. That, there was two items that arrive in here for one for me, one for producer John. Um, and uh, this is what arrived in my <laughs> studio today. Uh, oh, that's so good. Actually, seriously, because this, this was off a 747, wasn't it, Carlos? It was, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, geeks out there, somebody help me, because I want to power this up and put it above my door here. Somebody tell me what voltage this is and whether it's AC or DC. 
Casey because I haven't got a Scooby Doo. That, uh, that should run off mains. Twelve volts, or it's going to be one hundred and ten. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not going to be mains, Carlos. I know it's definitely not mains, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know how I find out because there's no. I'm looking at the serial number because it doesn't tell you because um, it's obviously designed to do. it. And there was another thing that that, that rocked up in the studio here as well. But we'll just try everything until it doesn't blow no, up. No, no, because that's not how it. <laughs> no, because I'll blow it up first go. Now in my life, and then. I don't really understand why producer John wanted this. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever understand why producer John wanted this. <laughs> oh, um, but brilliant. there we go. Look, so it is the actual handset from a seven four seven again, was it? Yeah. yeah so this is, is the intercom. Yeah. This is the one they do all the talking on, and there's loads of stuff. So it's like door one left is number eleven. There's like a keypad, and so it's basically. Just, I don't know. I don't know why. He, what he, you know? He, he's got an iPhone. I don't know why he needs one of these. Um, and I, I don't know what kind of special interface you need to plug. I've never seen a socket like that before. Uh, Very expensive one. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, it has to have a 747 attached to it. Yeah. Actually, before, <laughs> yeah. Before, we, before we move on, yeah. just quickly, if you know, for that £150, you can actually get yourself a window section from an A320. So it is, you know, the possibilities are... Oh, Absolutely. Good. I say, and international shipping uh, is there uh, as well. So uh, this is genuinely open to anyone uh, who listens to the podcast. Uh, we've had a chat with with Andrew basically, and, and we can get we can get stuff uh, sent out to anywhere. So please don't let that be the reason why you're not sending in some feedback. As I say, we want to uh, we want to give this away very soon. So uh, yes, you've got a yeah. couple more episodes uh, before we do the draw. So please, if you haven't done so already, uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is where you need to send your feedback it can be it can just be in the form of an email you can just write us a little bit of a story about how you fell in love with aviation what your favorite aircraft is Uh, why not answer that question that we always ask our pilots uh uh, you know if you had uh if money wasn't an object which airplane would you love to be sat at the controls of it doesn't have to be in the air at the moment it can be uh, you know it can be retired so it's basically you know the scope is aviation in my life basically so please do podcast Um, that talking uk i'm definitely not allowed to end here no you're not you are definitely not allowed to if nothing else because uh, i love your wife very much and, okay. <laughs> and she will divorce you if you buy a window. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, we'll move swiftly on. Oh so you've the... bought a window, haven't you? Oh. No. Anyway, up next uh, on the show, it's uh, we're going to st- we're going to uh, anyway we're going to start the show as we do each week. Oh, okay. A rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone's ready, <laughs> yes. you're not clearly ready to go. <laughs> Let's go. That wall is really bare up there. Anyway, this uh, story comes to us uh, from Carl, who highlighted this to us. You're going to put a window us. in it, are you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> this comes to us uh, from listener Carl, who sent this in. This is on uh, our local uh, rag here in the East Anglia. This is the EDP, uh, 24.co.uk. And uh, Felthorpe Flying Club members have brought, built, and borrowed some of the most memorable small aircraft that have ever soared skywards. The collection includes uh, an Isaac Spitfire and its little cousin, a Chilton DW1 monoplane, a Hawker Fury biplane, and even a replica of the Red Baron Fokker 
DR1 triplane. And now club members are hoping to inspire the next generation of aviators and aircraft engineers by launching a training course to share their passion, uh, passion for maintaining and flying the machines. The club's chief engineer, 81-year-old Michael Powell, who's 81, uh, said that there's a global shortage of engineers of all kinds and there's a growing shortage of aviation engineers. He said we wanted to do something about that, so we started off by teaching some of the owners of the aircraft here how to maintain their own airplanes. Mr Powell said the idea broadened local schools, became interested, and they were, are now looking to build links with commercial aircraft firms uh, that offer apprenticeships, as well as the International Aviation Academy, Norwich, which is based at... Norwich Airport. He said we wanted to include schools and academies because of the shortage of engineers and it starts there. We are trying uh, to put before people, particularly young people, what's involved in aviation engineering and what opportunities it offers. Mr Powell said uh, civil aviation in the UK lived in the shadow of commercial aviation even though it a two billion pound turnover a year and involved 15,000 light aircraft whereas there are only around 800 commercial airliners. Mr Powell said the course would start in autumn with opportunities for work experience and flying. He said participants would learn about the opportunities in civil aviation as well as the Royal Air Force thanks to another club member, retired Air Marshal Sir Christopher Harper. So if you're interested in finding out more, uh, you can email Mr Powell at uh, aircraft at inspectorandmaint.co.uk. We'll put the link in the show notes, so don't worry. Uh, but uh, you can also call them as well, and we'll put all the numbers in the show notes uh, for you to uh, find out more information on that. But this is a really good idea because I think most people, obviously, when you think of um, GA aviation and stuff, you think of you know, hopping out to an airfield, jumping in a Cessna 150 and just flying. But it obviously, you need engineers to make sure that aircraft uh, can fly. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think, Armando? Yeah, this is a, a, a great thing. And this, what this reminds me of is a couple of years ago when I was at Aero Expo in Friedrichshafen, uh, there's a company called uh, Booker and Funk that is producing uh, replicas of the Jungmeister and the Jungmann. And so they're modern kits that you can build or you can uh, take to a facility like this where they can help you build them. Like these these engineers, I remember when we went up to Seething, there was a bunch of really good airplanes. And uh, some of the guys that are building airplanes there and restoring airplanes are just what an amazing wealth of knowledge. Uh, but but companies like uh, Booker and Funk are are out there where if you're actually interested in making your own World War One replica airplane, you can go out and buy your own kit. And uh, if you guys want, we can uh, put that link into the show notes because oh, it's just kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Never? Are you tempted? Yes, I think I probably am, actually. <laughs> um, jolly, yeah, I, jolly good excuse to come and visit us. That's that's how I look at it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. But uh, no, very, it's really interesting, actually, isn't it? It's good. To, um, I've always been a bit of a, a fan of sort of you know people like this doing things at regional airports, mm. uh, like and uh, no, it's it's really really interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. We we'll move on to the next story now. Obviously, story two is always uh, a Ryanair story, and the headline is uh, 
Ryanair cuts flights from Ireland to the UK. Flying in Ireland is the website, and it's basically, the story goes, Ryanair has announced that it will cut around 1,000 flights between Ireland and the UK during August and September due to the effects of the coronavirus. Uh, the airline has blamed the 14-day quarantine requirements for arrivals into Ireland as a cause for the reduction in flights. Ryanair will cut services from Dublin, Cork, Kerry, Shannon and Knock to 14 destinations across the UK as it says the quarantine rule is damaging travel between the two countries. Ryanair said on the government to uh, sorry Ryanair called on the government to remove all travel restrictions within the Republic of Ireland and other EU member states as a matter of urgency. The airline has also pointed out on its statement that Irish citizens are being advised not to travel yet citizens from Northern Ireland can travel freely to and from the EU without having any quarantine restrictions even if they travel via Dublin Airport. However, the Irish government has previously signalled that no changes will be made to the quarantine rule until the 20th of July, uh, which is a green list of countries which visitors can travel to and from without needing to quarantine and is expected to be published soon. So, interestingly, uh, presumably that has now been released, that uh, particular article. So, I mean... Without wanting to get too political here, I mean, it's difficult to sort of see the logic behind there being technically no physical border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, yet um, there are travel restrictions in place. I, 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 as I say, my understanding also is if you are in, in, in Northern Ireland and you want to go to the Republic of Ireland, you can just simply drive over the border. Anybody wish to comment on that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> everybody, I think the, everybody's staying mute on that one. No, uh, what, what we've seen, haven't we, with this pandemic is that different regions uh, of the UK have had different rules. Uh, there's been different situations in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, and uh, I, I always wonder whether this is always to do with public safety or whether there's some political stuff going on behind the scenes. Who but perhaps there's a bit of each. Yeah, uh, probably a little bit of both, actually, to be fair. Uh, probably just worth uh, mentioning. So uh, it's not not all been doom and gloom. I'm just going to pop a picture up here, actually. It's not been all doom and gloom for Ryanair. A, this is a message for a little passenger who got his or her teddy bear, uh, who forgot their, their teddy bear on seats in the boarding area of Turin Airport yesterday on the 8th of July. We want to reassure you that your little friend is safe and is waiting for you at the lost and found area in the airport when you come back see you soon and the best oh. thing of all is there we are look when they came back when they got back uh, a couple of weeks later there we are it's beautifully reunited the, the child could be couldn't be less interested really in the camera there could they but <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, that message apparently was sent to everybody who was on the flight as well so it was uh, presumably sent by because of course with these things of course everybody has uh, you know they have your email address for for doing that and uh, the great news is is that the little bear was reunited isn't that nice so it's not Aww. all doom and gloom matt i want to thank you for putting up the reunification photo because the picture of just the bear and a quote that says, we want to reassure you that your little friend is safe and waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a, a little bit like a hostage video and a proof yeah, of yeah, life photo. One million yeah. dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you want yeah. your little bear back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, an Italian accent. That's what I'd like. <laughs> 
Of course, it's Ryanair, so they do it for, you know, 15 pound 99. Right, okay. Uh, good to know. Uh, <laughs> Nev, Moving I swiftly believe... on. <laughs> yes, I guess I Nev, yeah, Nev, the next story for you is all, uh, this, is, uh, this is quite an interesting story, Nev. Yeah, there's always been a lot of discussion uh, over the last few weeks about insurance and, and what happens with regard to medical expenses and quarantine costs and this kind of thing when flying. Well, uh, on golfnews.com, uh, it says that uh, Emirates will cover its passengers for COVID-19 related medical expenses and quarantine costs when they travel on the airline to and from the UAE and around the world. Flyers on the Dubai carrier can claim medical expenses of up to 150,000 euros and quarantine costs of 100 euros per day for 14 days should they be diagnosed with COVID-19 during their travel whilst they're away from home. It's the first airline to offer free global cover for COVID-19 related costs. This cover is offered free of charge to its customers regardless of class of, or tra of travel or destination. Uh, this cover is immediately effective for customers flying on Emirates until the 31st of October uh, 2021. Uh, the first flight to be uh, completed on or before October the 31st this year. It's valid for 31 days from the moment they fly the first sector of their journey. This means Emirates customers continue to uh, can continue to benefit from the added assurance of this cover even if they travel onwards towards another city after arriving at their destination. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Customers do not have to register or fill out any forms before they travel, and they're not ob obligated to utilise this cover provided by Emirates. Uh, Sheikh Ahmed uh, bin Saeed Al Maktoum, President of Dubai Civil Aviation and Chairman and Chief Executive of Emirates Airlines and Group, said... Under the directive of His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin uh, Rashid Al Maktoum, Vice President and uh, Prime Minister of the UAE and ruler of Dubai, Emirates is proud to lead the way in boosting confidence for international travel. We know people are yearning to fly as borders around the world gradually reopen, but they are seeking flexibility and assurances should something unforeseen happen during their travel. Any impacted customer who has been diagnosed with COVID-19 during their travel needs to contact a dedicated hotline to avail of assistance and cover. And you, uh, details of that are available on Emirates' uh, website. Well, that's quite interesting. And I think that's uh, very important for Emirates themselves because obviously they're very much um, centrally located, if you like, in, in the middle of the world. And uh, it's, it's quite an important uh, stopover and a very important destination for a lot of people as well. So I think that this is a, the first, first sign of some, uh, some very intelligent thinking coming out of the airline. Absolutely. So. I mean, this is, I mean, this, this is clearly a, an attempt to like uh, reactivate travel, isn't it? This is a way of trying to make people feel a little bit more comfortable about flying. Because, I mean, a lot of people, uh, I mean, there are people, obviously, who, who are concerned about the, the current situation you're in, but there are also a lot of people who are thinking, you know, the time has come to maybe move on. But perhaps they're not so comfortable about flying because if you do get and you suddenly have to be, you know, laid off for two weeks or whatever while you wait for, for tests and, and you have your, you, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Have to have your... your um, Quarantine. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, John. Um, quarantine. It, it's it's one of those, isn't it, where you you, you know people. It, it's different. You think, oh, I want to go here, but I daren't because if I do become poorly, I can't afford to be off for two weeks. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that there's some creative thinking is required I here. It's brilliant. Uh, and I think this is the first time I've seen some, uh, you know, some, some really good stuff. Um, so let, let's see how that goes, because I think uh, other airlines uh, may be very interested, not necessarily in following suit straight away, but at least looking at how Emirates are dealing with it. I think it's a really positive step in the right direction, isn't it, to sort of try and, you know, try and generate a bit of, you know, confidence, if you like, in, in the aviation sector. So if something happens, they'll do it. Well, great, great initiative. Armando, next up with you with uh, a slight bit of fire. Yeah, this story has already kind of made its way through the social media rounds, at least with the video, which I believe Matt is going to play out, or at least a picture. But an Ethiopian Airlines Boeing 777 freighter, Uh, caught fire at Shanghai Pudong Airport while the cargo was being loaded. The carrier said in a statement that the aircraft registration Echo Tango Alpha Romeo Hotel was on a regular scheduled cargo service from Shanghai Pudong to Sao Paulo and onward to Santiago. Uh, Videos and photos on social media show a large part of the freighter's aft section burnt away, and while the fire's cause is unknown, the footage indicates that it has been or it had been brought under control. Ethiopian confirmed that the fire had been contained. All ground staff and flying crew were completely safe. Uh, Data from flight tracking site Flight Radar 24 showed that the freighter had landed in Shanghai close to noon local time, operating as flight uh, 3738 from Brussels. Uh, Syrian fleet's data shows that the Star Alliance carrier operates 10 777 freighters with an average age of 4.3 years, which I believe this one was uh, just over that. It was five years five years, 10 months old. Um, Ethiopians said that it's working with relevant authorities to investigate the incident. Hmm. Any ideas, guys, what you think caused this? Because we were obviously chatting before we went live as to about the, the Dreamliner incident with the ELT, but obviously this being further forward suggests possibly something untoward with the cargo. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be an APU fire. I mean, there are fuel lines going back there um, to the APU. It, uh, it is a cargo operator, so it, so it could have been cargo being loaded um, that caught fire. It'll be tough to tell. I, I know we had a, a similar incident on a passenger airliner uh, not too long ago where there was a galley fire. So these kinds of things just kind of happen, unfortunately, yeah, you know, the chat room could have been lithium batteries. It could have been a myriad of things. But uh, the most important thing is that nobody was hurt in this incident and the fire crews were able to get it under control before any uh, additional damage happened. I have a feeling they might write this aircraft off. I would, I would say yeah. that you probably have a good <laughs> chance of getting a window or a piece of metal from this added to your... Your, to your, your room vast there, collection, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Airliners Live's got a great point here. Obviously, poor triple seven. At least it happened on the ground, and nobody was. Mm-hmm. Hurt. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, what if if it happened when you were in the air? I mean, my goodness, it's um, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Bear thinking about it really, does it? Most certainly, it would have been an emotional event. I, there, it depends on how fast. You know, we 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 don't really know from the video how long that fire was burning inside. There are. I don't know about fire, fire suppression systems in all cargo carriers, but there are certainly fire detection systems. And, it, you know, depending on the phase of flight, you can get the airplane on the ground as fast as you can, or if it's happening in a cruise 
um, you know, See, cruise this flight. Is, this, this is what I love about our chat room, Armando. Okay, Stephen Ivy, he says it probably could, you know, it could have been a good curry. Uh, that might have been what caused it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, good news for you, as I say, uh, Masher agrees with you, Carlos. Great news, more keychains. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I have you know, a board every, full of them. Yeah, yeah every bright side, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I was just looking on um, on the Aviation Herald, Simon's awesome site, and um, there's no real updates on there. I just wonder whether there have been any updates at all during uh, during the course of the week on that. But uh, nothing as yet, but I'm sure they will get to the bottom of what happened with this. Uh, John Jester has actually said uh, in the chat room here saying that main deck is normally decompression um, to fight fires. So is, mm. is that standard procedure? Yeah, that is, that is a way to do it, that if you remove the oxygen or as much as oxygen as you can from it, then you know it's certainly an effective way, and it, it's uh, written into the SOPs. Uh, Paul Tricker has come up with the mandatory, it'll buff out, that has to be done. And also Tony S has said <laughs> that uh, you know it can't be a sooty, sooty key change, so there we are. <laughs> Carlos would still buy it. He would, yeah, absolutely. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Aerop- uh, window is all I have to say to you. Moving on. Uh- <laughs> Moving on. So the next story, uh, this one is on Flight Global. This has come from Flight Global, and uh, this is all about the Eco 787 Dreamliner because obviously everything's got to be green these days. You know, we, we've got to have aircraft that are powered by, by our thoughts alone. To make everything just green, so the Chicago-based. <laughs> it's a little more technical than that. <laughs> we can we can think. So the oh, Chicago-based airframer plans later this year to roll out its latest Eco Demonstrator. Uh, this is with Etihad, and this is a seven eight seven. Dash 10. The company and several partners will use the jet to complete a 2020 eco demonstrator program that will include an evaluation of aircraft noise in flight and of landing gear fairings uh, intended to quiet the flow of the air around a jet's landing gear. Engineers will also use the 787 to trial technology that digitally transfers air traffic control uh, routing to jets, helping to improve efficiency. Boeing intends to conduct tests in August and September, uh, primarily from its Glasgow, Montana facility. Much of this year's tests will involve aircraft noise and noise mitigation fairings. In partnership with NASA, wow, engineers will perform flights to map the 787's noise signature. The jet will be outfitted with 222 dynamic pressure sensors. Using these sensors and 1,006 additional microphones on the ground, the team will examine the 787's noise during flight. Aircraft engineers measure the 787's baseline sound and Safran landing systems, low noise landing gear fairings will be evaluated. Boeing's eco-demonstrator tests will help determine the feasibility of the fairings for use on both 787s and other aircraft. We know engines and fuselages are quite quiet, they said, but on approach, we find that the landing gear is one of the biggest contributors to aircraft noise, uh, Creek says. If it works out, Safran, we anticipate, will figure out a way to work those fairings into the aeroplane. In addition to the noise studies, Boeing and the FAA will use the 787 Eco Demonstrator to test ATC's digital data transfer technology. Uh, These systems intended to help save fuel by making aircraft routing 
more efficient. Boeing adds that the 787 will burn a sustainably fuel blend while conducting eco-demonstrator flights. So uh, what do you think, guys? Um, obviously, we all know that engines make noise, but um, who, know, who knew that uh, landing gear makes a heck of a lot of noise? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a different. It's a it's a different story, isn't it? Now we were having a we were having a chat about this, weren't we? And actually, uh, um, Armando, I think it's safe to say you quite strongly disagree. <laughs> yeah. So the girls and I were in Atlanta, and as we are av geeks, or I'm trying to make them av geeks. One of the things that we did was Under we duress. stood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We stood at the approach lights, so one of Atlanta's arrival runways, and just kind of watched a couple airplanes. This, Matt is putting the picture up there. We were as close as you want to be to an airliner without getting blown over or being, what's that? Is that St. Bart's down in St. Martin, uh, down in the Caribbean? Oh, on the beach there. I'll tell you what. We were probably 300 feet, and all I could hear was engine. I don't know about noisy wheel fairings, <laughs> but, uh, you know, those engines, even at idle, are, are pretty loud. And Andy in the chat room is saying, you know, in the cabin, yeah, you can really hear the difference when the gear is down. You can certainly mm. hear the wind rushing. But uh, but if, you know, if you're talking about noise pollution, if you're on an arrival corridor, I don't, I don't know about this one. I mean, now, now Nev, uh, I mean, you know, what do you reckon? Well, um, I don't know about that, but I remember if you stand in the uh, the long-term car park near um, 27 right at Heathrow and something like a 757 uh, goes over your head, uh, you can definitely hear uh, quite a bit of noise, not as it's landing, but our, uh, the sort of the, the wake turbulence kind of noise, um, which the wings produce about... Hmm, let me think. Just as it's touching down, you can actually hear it uh, coming over the car park. But uh, <laughs> I, I've never heard landing gear uh, noise at all. Now, now, in the chat room, Mike, our main man, Micah, he's saying that there in Portland, the noise does come from extended gear as the engines are at idle during landing. And it was actually disco- disclo- disclosed, discussed at their airport noise advisory committee meeting wow. so hmm. well, that's interesting uh, yeah, it is. yeah i mean uh, Stephen ivy is sort of suggesting that actually um you know if you can't feel the grease you're not close enough uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> i mean there there is that again uh, airliners live is saying i agree though engines are blooming loud even at near <laughs> idle uh, just listen to an aircraft taxi pass which is a good point yeah Absolutely. Actually, well, we're going to have to make this a, a rivalry one. John Jester's actually saying that flaps and gear make the most noise, not the engines. Really? That's mm, what John Jester, uh, John Jester said. Well, that, I, mean, so. if he, I mean, if he says so, then I, you know, yeah. I, I am not in a position to argue. Um, actually, sticking sticking with green stuff. So, so in other eco news, actually, um, the US uh, EPA proposes first ever airplane emission standards actually i think armando you picked up on this didn't you the uh, environmental protection agency epa on wednesday announced it was proposing the first u.s emissions standards for commercial aircraft 
uh, in 2016, the UN International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, agreed on global uh, airplane emission standards aimed at makers of small and large aircraft, including Airbus and Boeing, uh, both which backed the standards. The EPA proposed regulation seeks to align the United States with the ICAO standards. Uh, the proposal would apply to new types of designs as of uh, January 2020 and to in-production aircraft uh, or those with amended type certificates starting in 2028. Uh, they would not apply to airplanes currently in use. EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler said it was a critical or was critical that the U.S. adopt the standards because the countries could ban U.S. assembled aircraft if they do not meet the ICAO standards. EPA is expected to finalize the rules next spring uh, and the Federal Aviation Administration will then issue separate rules to enforce the standards. It's kicking, so it, it's kicking off in the chat room. <laughs> we're definitely going green here, guys. Absolutely. Blimey. Yes. Uh, Stephen Ivey is saying it's the noise from the wind passing by the gear, not the gear itself. It's, not, it's, it's the wind's fault. It's a good point. <laughs> Lane has suggested uh, banning the wind and therefore Captain Al which is perhaps a bit harsh. Uh, well, I, I love Tony S's <laughs> comment in the chat room that it would be considerably noisier if the aircraft landed without its landing gear. Uh, good point. Yeah, uh, noisy, true. Uh, yeah, they would be a bit disposable then, wouldn't they? You know, you'd have to sort of throw it away. Yeah, <laughs> just throw away an awful lot of money's worth of aircraft and move on. A anyway, so we're going to stick with the green theme we, for oh, Matt yeah. next, and we're going to go on to um, electric aircraft yes i mean this i don't know i love electric cars i love the idea of it but i like the fact that it's on the ground so that when you do run out of electricity it doesn't become a very inefficient glider uh and this is the thing that worries me about this so this is pr newswire please feel free chat room to put me right i would be delighted um prnewswire.com is the website and the headline is electric aviation group unveils world's first hybrid electric 70 plus seater aircraft so bristol in england is where the story is coming out of a pioneering design for a hybrid electric regional aircraft which will deliver a technical and commercial entry point for sustainable mass air transport is being unveiled today uh, now when was this is back on the 20th of July uh, the, the, uh, the, the disruptive design that's a word I've not heard before the disruptive design um, is uh, uh, sorry, it has been developed by the Electric Aviation Group, the UK-based engineering and development firm, which expects its first aircraft to be in service by 2028. Now, that's not that's only eight years away. That's not far, isn't it? The uh, EAG has optimised the latest technology, economics and operational parameters to uh, create the design for the hybrid electric regional aircraft uh, to ensure it can solve the challenges of decarbonisation and mass transportation. So there's lots of key points here, which I'm just going to what, sort of skim through very quickly. So the key, key information about the 70-plus seater uh, airplane is it says whisper quiet operation reduces noise pollution innovative airborne battery regeneration to minimize turnaround time efficient battery in in ooh, integration wow okay thermal management of motors and power um power electronics gear assisted takeoff run gator gives rapid acceleration for quick liftoff during uh, uh, energy uh, reducing the energy requirements short takeoff and landing uh, performance enables new routes uh, new route opportunities affording greater profitability uh, for the operators cabin flex design enables passenger operation during the day and 
cargo operation at night. Suitability for operating from regional airports uh, brings convenience to travellers and gives increased proximity to warehouses, enabling private sector cargo to optimise last-minute terrestrial logistics and delivery systems to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, Future-proof designed to accommodate uh, alternative energy sources if available before 2030 um, flexibility to transform into an all electric or carbon neutral as the battery density improves and alternative fuels and associated powertrain technologies mature and become much more affordable. The design which is being unveiled to coincide with the opening of the FIA Connect, the virtual Farnborough air show um, a few days ago has received unequivocal support from the EAG's Jet Zero consortium which includes some of the UK's leading um, uh, leading engineering and manufacturing organisations and senior academic advisors. Uh, significant investments have been raised uh, to develop sub-19 seat hybrid and all-electric aircraft which we believe is the wrong strategy. These small planes cannot meet the demands of mass air transportation or the requirements of decarbonisation uh, commented Cameron uh, Iqbal who was the who is sorry the founder and CEO at EA, EAG. Our design is for an aircraft that will initially offer over 800 nautical mile range and launch in 2028 which will be able to carry over 70 people it will be the first mover in what is a 4.4 trillion dollar market i mean it's a very interesting story isn't it I, 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 how do we feel i mean we, i know we've had this conversation before and clearly you know fossil fuels are not the future i i, I get that but i must admit you know, given the, some of the problems that you get with the, and I suppose an aircraft is always going to be tested. But I mean, I I know people who've had uh, who've got a Nissan Leaf, for example, obviously. So it's got you know, it's it's all battery powered. And one of the worst things about it now is as it's getting older, you know, you're lucky if you get between fifty and sixty miles out of it before it needs a full charge. As when you first had it, it would do you know three hundred plus miles and, and and that is the thing i suppose in aviation obviously things are much more regulated it yeah. you know it, it's being watched you, a lot you can't more. Get range anxiety uh in the air i was just actually in the uk there's a new advert on tv for the new Vauxhall Corsa, the all-electric one so uh this is so in um the rest of europe and maybe in the u.s uh, this is the Opal brand, but it's actually the same thing. And they are advertising the new um, all-electric Vauxhall Corsa with a range, ladies and gentlemen, of 209 miles, um, wow. which I don't find particularly exciting. Um, <laughs> and it's not uh, even... You see, the thing is, is like, right, if they got it to a point where you could charge it... I'm not, sorry, we're talking about cars. I, I, it is vaguely relevant to, obviously, what we've just read. But, if you know, if they got it so that you could recharge it in half an hour so that you had that 200-plus, you know, that just over 200 miles available to you within a short time frame. But in, in reality, the technology that's there at the moment, they these things don't trickle charge. So, I mean, how long is an aircraft of this nature going to need to be plugged in in order to sort yes. of, you know, complete its flight. Now, I know people will plan around that, and I'm probably, you know, opening up a, a load of hypothetical questions that will have all been sorted out by the, you know, by the time 2028 comes around. But, you know, it's just, you know... I think we should 
Um, I think we should get Adam Spink on the show because he's a massive electrical. Oh, he is, yeah. So uh, I wonder if he might be able to give mm. us some, give us a few insights. Um, I, mean, I, I would love one. I mean, the thing is, is actually genuinely, you know, using the car thing, obviously a range of about two hundred miles for the sort of pottering around that I do here would be fine. You know, actually, but, that that would have got us to and back from. The air show last it week would have done. Yes, I, I don't. I wouldn't have recommended having the radio on to listen to the in-air commentary, which is what we mm. would have been expected to do, because obviously that drains the battery. You know, it, I, I don't know. A lithium battery fire as well on the way back, maybe. Um, oh, only if you ask nicely. Um, it's just oh, like, hybrid. Couple... Is de- yeah, hybrid is definitely a good side. John is saying in in, in our ears here. Uh, Stephen Ivy is actually saying in the chat room here. I wonder what the hold time will be let's see fuel uh let's see fuel to destination fuel to alternative plus 45 minutes of hold plus taxi time in and out it's going to be really hard to do that's a that is a that is a great point Stephen. he's saying let alone recharge fast enough to go back out again sorry ladies and gentlemen the fo didn't plug the supercharger in when it landed uh <laughs> this is this is a great point as i say again hydrogen is the only uh hydrogen this is rack on here so i said the only thinkable solution for the big airlines right Right now, uh, range is less than half, but at least you can fly. Batteries are not scalable. Uh, same as for cars, more complicated in the air. I mean, you know, there's it's uh, again, uh, airliners live is saying hydrogen is a good option just as long as it's stored safely. I mean, but then I suppose you could say that about aviation fuel and things like that as well, can't you? I mean, there's there are many, uh, there are many a can of worms. I mean, I, I, I personally love the idea, I really do love the idea of of you know uh battery power because it's uh, yeah. it's a great uh, it's a great idea but um i don't know if i don't know if the aviation industry is i don't think the technology is there for the aviation industry matt we'll, we'll finish up the story with this harbor air out in canada has been flying electric beavers for a month or about a year now really? they started in december 2019 so that's a partnership with an australian firm called magnix so we can certainly reach out to them, and after almost a year in operation, we can Good idea. Excellent. figure right, well, out. That's Almondo's yeah. homework for it's next homework, week. Off yeah. you go, mate. Yeah. So <laughs> moving on to the next story, and uh, Nev, you've got no good news for any of our listeners who live in Brussels. Woo-hoo. Indeed. Now, we all like going to the United States, don't we? It's a fine place to be. But unfortunately, we don't like the two and a half hours worth of queuing you often get at the border entry. But uh, Brussels Airport is going to get a US pre-clearance facility. Uh, Belgium's finance minister, Alexander de Croo, revealed on Wednesday. Pre-clearance speeds up passenger flow as it allows customs and immigration facilities uh, and formalities to be completed before the passengers board their flight to the United States. Brussels would be the third European airport to get such a facility, the other two being the Irish airports, Dublin and Shannon. Uh, This will give Brussels an advantage when it comes to attracting passengers as entry into the US is slow due to complex procedures. Passengers who've completed pre-clearance in Brussels will be treated as domestic passengers when they land in the US. The concept of a US pre-clearance facility in Brussels was first discussed in 2017. Uh, According to the deal, which was signed uh, last week, 30 US customs officials uh, will work from Brussels airport. 
Start date is yet to be announced due to uncertainty caused by the government's coronavirus restrictions. But uh, that is good news, isn't it? If it's possible to arrive in the US as a domestic passenger, that's going to be a whole load of pain taken away in terms of uh, queuing, especially to uh, JFK or Los Angeles or probably any of the yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, if I if I was Ireland though, I might be a bit cross because, of course, the only place that this is available currently is is in mm. in the Republic of Ireland, isn't it? Uh, it's um, I, I, yeah. And I know I do know several people who have flown into like either Shannon or, or whatever, literally for that reason, uh, to to do the whole um, pre clearance, um, so that when they arrive in the states, as you say, they arrive as a domestic passenger i mean i don't know i i'd i'd be a bit miffed if i if 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 i was in the republic of ireland i gotta be honest yeah i think there's going to be some more of this going on because uh, again i think the 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 tsa in the us they have a job to do obviously and um i think it's um there's no doubt about it that the the amount of queuing that goes on having already taken an eight or nine hour flight to the us in the first place possibly yeah uh, that does spoil the start of your trip. There's no no two ways about it. So if they can find a way of mitigating some of that uh, by at least having some flights that can be pre-cleared um, outside of the US, so that uh, so that it can be it can arrive as a domestic flight, then that is no bad thing. I would say. Agreed. Agreed. We can go over and see you a bit quicker now, Armando. Well, you're anyway, you're going to fly on. via Brussels, are you? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Oh, right. It's Fair flying, enough. isn't it? It's all good. Amen. Yep. <laughs> Armando, with uh, with the next story, and uh, Armando, we're moving to somewhere. I think uh, I know I've flown over, but I think you may well have either flown over this place before. I, well, I think you and I may have actually flown over it mm. ourselves because I yeah. used to use it as a waypoint. So Jack Jenner Hall, who lives in Burston near Dis, achieved this feat at. Tibbenham Airfield on Wednesday, June 22nd, as he celebrated his 14th birthday. He became the world, the, the world's, the UK's youngest qualified pilot. Wow. So 14 is the legal minimum age in the UK to fly solo in a glider. And as Jack reached his milestone, family and friends looked on with pride during his first solo glider flight. The youngster who attends high school and has been flying since the age of 11 said the experience surpassed all expectations. He said it was absolutely amazing. The weather was perfect, the experience was great, and it's easily the best birthday present I've ever had. I hope so. Uh, He reached about 3,500 feet over Long Stratton, uh, and doing it on his own was incredible, he said. I even had a couple U.S. Air Force tankers fly off my wing, which was very cool. (laughs) We'll have to talk about that one a little bit, Jack. <laughs> uh, Jack has been in the Norfolk Gliding Club uh, for more than two years, having joined their junior training scheme at Tibetum. Uh He explained that his passion for airplanes had, become, had begun at a much younger age. When he was two years old, he saw his first Red Arrows display, and his love for flying just grew from there. Phil Sillett, one of Jack's instructors at the gliding club, said that his talent for flying had been clear from day one. He said, Jack has been capable of going solo for at least six months, but obviously we had to wait until he could legally do so. Having touched back down, Jack has already set his sights on taking the next steps towards his dream of becoming a commercial airline pilot. There we go. Uh, Good on him. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's it's a nice it's a nice little airfield actually, Tibbenham, a glider field. There's um, normally a lot of activity there on a Sunday. If anyone uh, looks on Flight Radar Twenty Four, there's normally quite a lot of um, uh, gliders flying around Tibbenham um, with their ADSB outs or sending signals. But um, yeah, nice little club. I think we're lucky, Matt, in the area that we live in here that we have got a number of very friendly and uh, well-run. Uh, yeah, kind of flight schools. Uh, I've uh, just been sent the video actually via uh, Captain Al. Thank you very much for uh, for passing that on. As I say, it's uh, courtesy of ICB News. This one. I mean, it, how how exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, Carlos. Your mission is to get in touch with him. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we we need to find out all about it, don't we? Yeah, I think uh, we. Well, I don't know, we haven't spoken or had a glider pilot on the show. So no, um, I think we should put that. Oh, we've had Nick. Yeah. Captain oh. Nick is a glider pilot. Uh, true, true. Yeah, and Pip. Yeah, Pip does a Pip. lot of um, gliding. To be fair, mm, yeah, 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 that's yeah. true. Uh, anyway, yes, um, he's, he's not. For, he's not fourteen, though. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no you can <laughs> yeah, yeah. quadruple yeah. that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> at least. Yeah, but it's, I, I tell you what. What's so lovely is it's nice to have somebody so motivated. You know, literally fourteen and bump. There he is, goal yeah. achieved. I mean, that's 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 some drive, isn't it? You know, you just know that you just know that he's gonna he's gonna he's going to do it you know he's yeah, going to go absolutely. through and yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah. good 100%. on him good on him yeah. so we're going to hand things over to the next part of the show to nev to introduce because uh, this is very interesting very special this interesting. yes um it's a nice change actually because um a couple of people have said to me would you mind rerunning uh, an interview that you did with the folks at uh, gibraltar airport oh, cool. come on very happy to do that. Uh, this actually goes back to episode 244, uh, which was the end of November 2018. And I had the opportunity to visit Trevor Hammond, who's the general manager of uh, Nats at Gibraltar Airport. Um, now, obviously, Gibraltar's a place that I've visited many times and is definitely a favourite of mine. The actual operation at the airport was an interesting and slightly complex one, as it combines both civil movements and is also the base of RAF Gibraltar for the military operations there. So I began by asking Trevor how these two systems work in practice and if there were any conflicts between them in real-world use. To be honest, the, these days air, air traffic is so similar, both in the civil and the military, that uh, the, the two combine flawlessly, to be honest. Uh, there are absolutely no, no issues. The regulations are very similar in many respects, and the service we provide is with civil licences anyway, um, but as I say, in terms of phraseology and things like that, there are almost no differences. So, uh, yeah, flawlessly, I would have to say. So, in fact, you're employed by NATS rather than the RAF? Right here. I'm employed by NATS. It's quite a complex contract uh, in the way it's been managed because Gibraltar falls under a much wider MOD piece, which is a, a Marshall uh, airports contract, which is uh, a process by which the MOD are refreshing the equipment at many of their airfields, and there are a number of air traffic services provided at a number of airfields, and uh, and we fall under under that contract. So I work for Nats. Nats is contracted to a another company called Aquila, and Aquila is contracted directly to the MOD. All oh, right, interesting. Um, now, since the construction of the new terminal uh, here in the, the back end of 2011 and 2012, um, the whole airport seems to have taken on, on a new life. What other expansion plans does the airport have? And uh, will that mean that you'll have to update your systems here? 
Well, as I just alluded to, the, the MOD itself is updating a lot of our equipment, the radars, both primary and secondary radar, the, the radios. Uh, so that will, it won't involve a great deal of procedural changes for us. There will be certainly some changes in the way we, we see the equipment, the way the information is delivered to us. We'll have mode S on the SSR, for instance, so we'll have more information available. Uh, procedures should remain very similar. Hopefully we'll have nice, reliable equipment, modern equipment, requiring relatively little servicing, which would be fantastic. The airport itself is uh, working there's a huge project going on at the moment to build a tunnel under the eastern threshold of the runway. Uh, that will clearly make a huge difference to the operation and the potential for the airfield. At the moment, of course, I'm sure many people will know that we have a, a very major highway that runs right across the middle of the runway. Uh, that highway links Gibraltar and Spain, so all traffic, all traffic, whether it's on foot, on bicycle, on motorbike or, or in lorries, everything has to go straight across the middle of the runway. And that, of course, involves a process whereby every time an aircraft lands, we have to close that road um, and make sure that the runway is available and safe for an aircraft to land on. In about 18 months, we expect the tunnel project at the eastern end to be complete, and then all of that traffic will be moved to the tunnel, uh, meaning that there's no no impact from it between aviation and that road transport, which would be fantastic because, of course, it means we can operate as many flights as we can possibly attract into the airfield without upsetting the day-to-day the -day workings of, of Gibraltar in terms of people's comings and goings. I was going to ask you about the tunnel project. This has been some time coming, hasn't it? Um, do you think it will totally transform the way the airport operates? It gives the airport a huge opportunity. It'll certainly transform the way we operate up in the tower because... A, a large part of the process to make the runway safe for aircraft involves ensuring that we have the road closed, secured, the, the runway clean of any, any foreign object debris that, that may have fallen off a vehicle or litter that people may have, may have thrown. So, so clearly that takes some time to prepare the, the runway for an aircraft to land. All that process will disappear overnight once the, once the uh, tunnel is open uh, and we could potentially then exploit the runway to its full capacity uh, which could be as many as 12 movements an hour here. There's quite a long backtrack, so uh, it does limit us, but uh, 12 movements an hour would still be very significant if we could get anything like that. So huge potential once the, once the tunnel is completed, yes. Just think about the upgrades that you're thinking of doing and, and with technology advancing in the field of uh, GBAS, which is uh, ground-based or augmentation systems, um, are airlines looking for uh, better facilities at airports, you know, precision approaches and that kind of thing, so they could better utilise what we'll have available? Yes, of course. At the, at the moment, the, the way we operate here is uh, we, we do have a radar. We provide radar services to aircraft and tower services to aircraft. Uh, our, we, because of the nature of the approach to runway 09 in particular, which is 90, deg 90 degrees to the runway, uh, you fly up the uh, Bay of Gibraltar and then turn 90 degrees at about three miles, uh, an ILS would be of no value whatsoever on that runway. It would do nothing. Uh, so uh, if uh, an aircraft needs a, a ground-based aid, we do that using the, using the primary radar and a surveillance radar approach would be flown. Clearly, we have somebody uh, dedicated to providing that service so we can operate as many of those as, as, demand, as, as there is demand for them. Um, however, the local authority has also now invested in, a, in an RNAV approach. Uh, so hopefully in the very near future, 
uh, we'll have a, an RNAV approach available as well. I know pilots like to fly it already. Uh, however, at the moment there is a restriction because we're still, we're still proving the approach, so they can only fly it in good weather conditions. Clearly it'll be advantageous when they can fly it in poor weather conditions, uh, and, uh, and that will clearly facilitate uh, arrivals for aircraft. It'll also mean that they have more stable approaches, fewer go-arounds. Not that we have a huge number of go-arounds, but Obviously, it's one of the one of the few airports that uh, a modern airline pilot has to fly the aircraft onto the ground these days. So, uh, just occasionally, maybe because of the weather, maybe because of the wind, or maybe because we just haven't quite got the lineup correct, uh, we do have the odd the odd go around because of that. Just think about that approach onto zero nine. Of course, that's a very critical uh, manoeuvre to carry out because obviously you want to steer clear of the, the Spanish uh, airspace, I guess. But how do you actually interface with, with your Spanish colleagues on a, on a day-to-day basis? Well, the centre is, is Seville um, and every aircraft is handed controller to controller. So there are no automatic processes there. So we communicate with Seville. We have a direct line and we talk every day, several times a day to them. Uh, we have a letter of agreement in place about how we operate and how we interface. And it works very well, to be honest. There are, there are no, you know, fortunately, air traffickers are professionals through and through. Flight safety and, and expedition is all they're interested in. And, and we have a fantastic relationship with Seville and work very closely together to, to ensure that whatever is going on in the airspace in the vicinity of Gibraltar happens safely. Do you think with the UK leaving the uh, European Union in March of next year, do you think that's going to have much operational effect on on what you do here? That's clearly a big question that I don't think anybody absolutely knows the answer to. I'd like to think, and I'm pretty confident that it won't have any impact in terms of the provision of air traffic services. As I said earlier, we've got a letter of agreement with Seville. Uh, so we have a, a modus operandi that, that we can we just continue to use. So uh, unless for some reason it becomes politically complex, and, and I really can't answer to that, um, I don't see any reason why, why the way we operate here should change at all. Yeah, interesting. I think it's, it's all about you know, being professional and working with other like-minded professionals. Too. It, it absolutely is, and I think uh, that that will hopefully extend throughout Europe in terms of the aviation industry, and, and I, I really don't think it's in anyone's interest to see the aviation industry disrupted at all. We, we all want to go on holiday, we all need to do business, we all need to fly around. Uh, you know, more people are flying than ever. I think in the UK last summer was the busiest year on record. Uh, that's only likely to grow uh, it's only likely to grow around Europe, so it's absolutely in nobody's interest to, to you know, throw a spanner in that particular works. So I really don't think Brexit will have a major impact, but as I say, nobody really knows the answer. We're, we're considering doing a Brexit special uh, <laughs> on, on the show, but uh, it's so inflammatory at the moment. I think we might leave that until things have settled down uh, a bit I, next year. I, I think that's sensible, yes. And I, I think the biggest issue is everyone can speculate, but nobody knows the answer. So, and is there a much value in speculation? Probably not. Just thinking about the operations here, uh, in 2016, a British Airways uh, A320 had quite a serious bird strike uh, just on its takeoff run. Um, it, are birds a particular problem around the airport here, do you think? They, they are a problem, um, as they are at any airport, uh, and obviously different, different airports have different bird species, which are a problem species. For us, the problem is the yellow-legged gull. It's a herring gull, effectively, which is quite a large bird. Uh, fortunately, it doesn't fly in flocks, so you're not going to hit a flock of them. You may hit a bird. Uh, I, I still am confident that, actually, we, we, we have wildlife control on the airfield for every aircraft movement at, at the fast end of the runway, if you like, dispersing birds all the time, keep particularly that species away. We have a very good relationship with the local authority because, of course, the birds 
aren't really based on the runway, if you like, or on the airfield. They, they roost on the rock. They go and feed in the, in the waste tips over the frontier in Spain at various, uh, the various landfill sites. So they tend to be transiting across the airfield. And we can disrupt that. We work closely with the local authority in terms of keeping the numbers down as far as the roosting on the rock goes. Um, we even have a very good relationship with developers. So anyone who's going to develop a building close to the airfield, and, and in Gibraltar pretty much everything is close to the airfield, one of the hoops, if you like, that they have to go through is to satisfy the, the airfield and the aviation authorities that their, their development isn't going to have a negative impact uh, on flight safety. And apart from the obvious things like height and glare from the windows, bird management and bird control is one of the factors that they have to consider and they have to satisfy the authorities that their building isn't going to attract birds near to the airfield, which may then obviously fly towards the airfield if they're startled. So we've got many processes in place. We are acutely aware that birds are a risk, but I think it's a very well-managed risk. It's a well-understood risk well managed, you are obviously occasionally going to be unlucky, but, but really we have three or four bird strikes a year close to the airfield, uh, and the majority of them are fairly minor, and the aircraft just continue once they've been inspected. It's interesting, isn't it, that there's so much attention paid to uh, building um, regulations and this kind of thing with regard to the airfield. I hadn't realised that was such an important part of the uh, development here. Yes, and, and it keeps us all very busy all of the time, to be honest, because there is a lot of development going on in Gibraltar, and we really do have to be careful that we don't, in effect, make it impossible to operate the airfield because some development's been approved that uh, seriously infringes the, the obstacle limitation surfaces, that causes tremendous glare down the, down the approaches at a particular time of year. Uh, so there are many factors that need to be considered with every development. But, as I say, the developers in Gibraltar are aware of the, the issue. They're very good, e- even to the point of you know, raising cranes and lowering cranes. We find ourselves engaged on almost a daily basis with talking with developers about can, can they raise that crane, what time should it go up, what time must it come down by. Uh, so it's a very good relationship. There's, a, there's an acute awareness that the airfield needs to operate. Certainly, since I uh, haven't been here for a couple of years, I've noticed a lot more development going on in, in the last two years here. Yes, it's a bit of a building site, to be honest, when you walk around Gibraltar. Uh, I'll say no more than that. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your personal career progression that got you sat here at the Tower at ATC? I, I, was, actually, I was actually born in Gibraltar, educated in the UK, um, and in my early 20s I came back, uh, and having been a, an employee of British Telecom in the UK, actually, uh, I, le- I left that, came back, um, at a time when it was announced that the air traffic was going to be civilianised by the, by the RAF. I saw that as an opportunity, uh, and so off I, off I went to do my licences. Fortunately got my licences, but wasn't returned straight to Gibraltar. Did some work in, uh, in Lambeda, in the north of Wales, actually operating um, Jindaviks, they're called, which are basically, these days would be a drone, which uh, exercise in the in the areas just off the, the Welsh coast with the, with the Air Force or the, or the Navy. Um, spent about a year there, a little bit of time also l- learning the ropes at Woodvale, and that was with Serco, and then Serco brought me to Gibraltar and uh, worked as a controller, tower and radar here for a number of years, 11, 12 years, um, before the opportunity to become the manager came along. Um, did the interviews and became the manager. I live in Gibraltar, it's my home, and uh, I couldn't have a better job, quite honestly. What other challenges would you say that there are here at Gibraltar? Water at both ends of the runway, 
not unique, of course, there are many airports that have that. Um, we have a cruise liner terminal quite close to the end of the runway, and, and cruise liners these days, as most people who, who have been on a cruise will be aware, are enormous. So they're a, they're a significant consideration. We, again, have an agreement with the Port Authority about the movement of the cruise ship, so, so we work very closely with them to, to make sure that aircraft movements and cruise movements are deconflicted. We have a number of marinas near the airfield, which, again, we, we need to manage, and we have agreements with the marinas so that we don't get vessels with tall masts coming out at inopportune moments and, uh, and affecting flights. We're always vigilant to these things, but clearly what we don't want to do is have a flight disrupted because uh, something's in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, so we, we manage that very carefully. The weather itself, Gibraltar has a very unique microclimate. So uh, in early summer, we tend to get a lot of fog in the morning because uh, a warm easterly wind uh, coming from the Levant Blows, uh, blows across cold waters, they're still very cold in June, uh, and obviously moisture comes out of that and we get fog. So fog can be a, a challenge, although not a challenge we can do much about. Uh, and probably for pilots, one of the biggest challenges can be the wind. Um, southwesterly winds in particular blow across, across the rock, which is only about 500 metres from, from the runway itself, uh, across final approach, uh, and that can set up all sorts of very difficult and challenging turbulence from just straightforward lumpiness that you might expect on, on final approach normally to a, a large rotor that sets itself up that creates quite a, quite a substantial up and down draft. Um, so, so what tends to happen is uh, aircraft fly into the rotor if, if it's there. Um, and you can often see it there by the patterns on the water um, beneath it. Um, so the aircraft flies through it at anywhere between four and two miles and it, and it, it enters a down, an area of downdraft, so the aircraft gets pushed down. Of course, the pilots put, uh, put uh, power on to compensate for that um, and then hit the updraft, which lifts them above the glide path and often too far above the glide path. So, so, so whilst it's not particularly dangerous, it makes it impossible to land because it's a 6,000-foot runway, 1,800 metres um, so at that point, if you, if you are a bit high or too high, certainly in an airline, you're not going to be able to able to land. The wind can then cause very extreme conditions. Um, we can get um, water spouts and things, you know, off off final approach. Um, once conditions get like that, nobody even makes an approach. Pilots are warned off. They're all and, and to I'm Malaga at that point. I'm <laughs> afraid it's a diversion to Malaga. Yes, there's nothing we can do about that. Again, it's always safety first. For us, operating as Nats in Gibraltar, and for the airlines, and for the MOD, safety comes first. So nobody's going to try and do anything silly and, and land in those sorts of conditions. And quite frankly, as if, if I were a passenger on the back of a plane, I don't want to be thrown around no, either. Exactly. So, uh, when sort of an aircraft does divert to Malaga, is it the airline's responsibility to get the coaches there uh, to for the operator? Assisted by the local handling agency, it's, it's fundamentally the airline's responsibility. Obviously, if, it, if it's a case that they know the weather's really bad and the forecast is really bad, they may well operate straight to Malaga, in, in which case it's quite a slick operation getting buses, you know, the buses are waiting for you. If it's an unexpected diversion, which, which may occur for... Well, for who knows what reason. If it's unexpected, the delay's a little bit longer, but again, it's a pretty slick operation. It's, uh, it, it will cause you a three or four hour delay on your flight, um, but it's not as bad as you might think. Uh, and I, again, I need to point out that diversions, although I think people have a perception that we have a high number of diversions, it, it is, we have a low percentage. It's, it's probably under 1% of flights a year divert 
to to Malaga. So it's it's not bad. It's not bad yeah. at all. Certainly, look at the approach plates to um, Gibraltar here. Uh, some of the patterns that you see, as you've just mentioned, are, look quite horrific, and it is possible to get a, a tailwind at both ends of, of the runway. That that can happen. Fortunately, it's usually a relatively light tailwind, but particularly in the summer, if uh, if the wind backs because of the sea breeze, which um, is basically created by the land heating up and, and sucking air up, and, and that causes the uh, a south or rather a westerly wind to back towards a southwest or even as far as south. If it's a very light wind, it, what happens? Yes, is it, it obviously it hits the rock. The rock almost acts like the bow of a ship, um, splits the wind, and then the wind curls around the rock, and we end up with a possibly a four or five knot tailwind at, at both ends of the runway. That's usually actually fine for the airlines. It's just about within their tolerances. So it seldom causes a major issue, but obviously pilots have to be acutely aware that they are landing with a a tailwind. Um, The the margins are very comfortable. Modern A320s, which is the majority of the flights we get here, but we get 737s as well occasionally, and even 757s very occasionally, uh, can can stop very quickly, and they they rarely need to apply their full full brakes. You know, they they tend tend to be stopped perhaps two-thirds of the way down the runway and under control. Yes. Does the op- uh, operation here allow for any GA flying uh, at all? Any yes, yeah. yes. Um, I think it's fair to say very few people are turned away. So, so yes, we get a, a lot of business jets. That's clearly uh, for, the, for those who can afford it um, or for those businesses who, who actually time is very much money. Um, need to operate that way. We get a lot of business jets here. They represent about 25% of our overall traffic. Um, Smaller GA is unusual. We mostly see it in the summer. And by smaller GA, I'm talking about your Pipers, your Cessnas. Um, They may arrive in the summer, usually Europeans, French or or Germans who are flying down to Morocco perhaps. And uh, I think Gibraltar's a good a good one to have in the logbook, so they'll often often request, and they will usually be accepted. Uh, perhaps not in every case, and certainly once the once the tunnel's ready, I'm sure they will all be accepted and very welcomed. Yes, it'll certainly uh, transform the the operation here. I'm sure when that happens. Yes, as as you can imagine, it, it's uh, it can be quite difficult if you've got four or five GA aircraft fairly close together. You don't really want to close the road for half an hour and and bring Gibraltar to a gridlocked standstill. For the sake of landing three or four PA-28s, it would probably not be an appropriate use of, of people's time and it would hurt the economy. Um, but once the tunnel is gone, of course, there are, there are no restrictions then. So, so yes, it's hopefully once we have that tunnel, um, everything will be accepted. Well, Trevor, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you very much indeed for your time. No, thank you very much, Nev. Much appreciated. Always good to talk about the airport. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. Well, I mean, it's so nice to revisit these, some of these things, isn't it? And uh, yes, you had quite you, you had quite a good visit there, didn't you, Nev? I absolutely superb. It took a while to tee it all up because you have to get the permission of Nats and yeah. 
uh, the ATC team there as well. But they, it was really, really good and really interesting talking to Trevor. Of course, that was going back to the end of November 2018. So you'd expect me by now to be saying, oh, and it's all right, guys. The tunnel is now open, but it's not open. Uh, and I don't know when it will be open. Um, and nor does anybody else. So I've looked everywhere on the Internet uh, from things that saying, oh, yes, it'll be open at the end of 2019. And obviously that's come and gone. So um, I do plan to make a return visit when it is open so that we can do a bit more video there. But, uh, yeah, uh, as of Have they made a start on it, Nev? Oh, yeah. No, it's all the construction's going on quite nicely, but um, they're not in a rush. I think. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Well, there we are. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to see uh, what happens. But uh, when uh, when it's finished, I shall be there. Quite. Absolutely, I think uh, I think an update an update on that will be required when it's finished. I think. Yeah, and actually, on that note, Nev, my next approach that I do on on X Plane tomorrow will be into Gibraltar. Oh, good. Well, as long as you do it onto zero nine, so you've got that horrific ninety degree <laughs> right turn and stick I'll it. Give it a go. Fifteen knots of crosswind or something, and, and see how you get on. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give it a go. Yes, indeed. So the next part of the show, we are going to hand things over to. Armando. Hey guys, so we do have a few military stories and we are sticking, at least at the beginning, with our green theme. So if uh, you're ready, Matt, let's hit the button. This first story is from popularmechanics.com. The UK's next generation fighter jet could be powered by electricity instead of jet fuel. That is the word from BAE Systems, the lead contractor on the Tempest fighter, which has left open the possibility that the aircraft could be powered by a hybrid electrical or a fully electrical system. The system would undoubtedly be more environmentally friendly, but there are some doubts as to whether such a propulsion system would be ready for action by the time the jet enters service in 2035. According to Bloomberg, BAE Systems is examining all options for the Tempest fighter. The company has just brought uh, Williams Advanced Engineering, a motorsports company that specializes in batteries for race cars, to work on the Tempest project. The company will bring bring its expertise in battery management and cooling technology to the table. The fighter was first announced in 2018 at the RAF Farnborough Air Show. It will be the first British fighter in decades and one of the first so-called sixth-generation fighters even more advanced than the fifth-generation American F-35 and the Russian Su-57. A large twin-engine fighter, the Tempest will fly equipped with a helmet-enabled virtual cockpit, artificial intelligence, and laser weapons. The name Tempest holds to the UK's tradition of naming fighter jets after ferocious weather including such famous jets as the Hawker Hurricane, the English Electric Lightning, the Panvia, the, or sorry, the Panvia, the Panvia Tornado, the Eurofighter Typhoon, and the Tempest will enter a service in the mid-2030s with the Royal and Italian Air Forces. So could the Tempest become an all-electric jet? It's unlikely. As Bloomberg points out, electric flight is still in its infancy, high-performance After-burning turbofan engines, on the other hand, are well-developed. Unless batteries can deliver the the greater power than fuel for the same weight, there will be no real reason to change. 
Another problem, an all-electric jet could not refuel in midair like a fighter jet currently does. Fighter jets need just a handful of minutes to transfer a meaningful amount of fuel from a tanker, like the RAF's new Voyager refueling plane. Uh, the battery-powered fighter, sorry, newly painted, they've had Voyagers for a while. Uh, a battery-powered fighter could require much more time to transfer electrical energy from a larger aircraft to a smaller jet. Or you could just put people out on the wings to change out the batteries. <laughs> That's not the... To say that the Tempest won't have batteries, the BBC reports that the new fighter will sport laser weapons, uh, likely a rear-facing anti-missile system, but possibly also a forward-facing laser power no- power enough, powerful enough to damage enemy aircraft. Uh, a laser weapon system will need batteries to store electricity the same way a kinetic energy gun, <laughs> never called it that, uh, requires a magazine to store bullets. Regardless, the new fighter will likely have power storage capacities beyond current fighters and push the technology along just a little bit farther. Tempest might not be an all-electric jet, but the aircraft that replaces it sometime around 2060, we should be... What what episode will we be on? <laughs> oh, my <Yeah>. goodness. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, actually, well, we'll I, just be, I, I'm gonna we'll just be holograms in people's living rooms by <laughs> yeah, then. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you, you here. To- Tony S. says, will the tankers be dangling jump leads instead of hoses? Yeah, somebody's still got to plug it in, right? <laughs> <laughs> we Quite. could just have a bunch of Doc Browns. That oh, wow. Yeah, what lightning like, powered. Yeah. yeah, that's clearly the future. Back Ooh. to the future, in fact. <laughs> we should, we should certainly add to the stealth, though. Electric powered fighter jets. Stealth? Yeah. You'd never hear them come towards you. Good electric. Point. Yeah. 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 That, that, yeah. You'd just be a whistle, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, then the landing gear doors definitely would be the noisiest thing on the airplane, wouldn't mm. it? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're no, gonna no. have to. They're dis- gonna have to try. And... We've discussed this at length. It'll be the landing gear, without question. <laughs> I, 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 I want to see electric-powered Osprey, Armando. Oh my goodness! Jeez, uh, you know what? We are probably closer to that than an electric-powered fighter jet because uh, propeller, propeller propulsion, electrically driven propeller propulsion is probably a little bit closer than. Uh, my wife is laughing at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony S has actually said uh, no heat signature either. That's worth uh, bearing in mind, obviously. If that is uh, a yeah. very good observation, actually. Yeah, good point. Mm. Yes. Oh, I don't believe this. John has just looked it up. He reckons we're going to be in episode 2000 and something or other by the time we get <laughs> to that point. Okay. <laughs> Anybody plan to live that long? I mean, you know, Jeez. our producer might live that long. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of us. <laughs> I think we'll be handing the baton down to some other listeners by that yeah, time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Younger ones, ideally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, the next story, and this one is from the businessinsider.com. And uh, we all like a bit of bit of uh, kind of joint teaming up and this one is u.s british and dutch fighter jets uh, teaming up for point break exercise over the north sea so for the first time the royal netherland air force f-16s and f-35as partnered with uh, fourth and fifth generation aircraft from the royal air force and f-15s from the 48th fighter wing during uh, exercise point blank Uh, 20-3 on the 16th of July. More than 60 aircraft took off from home stations and met in the skies over the North Sea for a realistic high-fidelity training environment that included KC-135 stratotankers and 
RC-135 rivet joint from the Royal Air Force Mildenhall Base, along with NATO airborne warning control systems as well. Actually, I do think I saw some of these around our area this week, but... Uh, the uh, RNLAF Major Marlene Molima Liwarden, Air Base's press officer, wow, that's an interesting name, uh, says that we value the excellent opportunity Point Blank provides us to maintain and improve inoperability with our NATO's or inter interoperability with our NATO allies. Uh, the exercise fully integrates fifth-generation technology and capabilities and leads to development and execution of live, virtual, and constructive training to support full-spectrum readiness. Point Blank fits perfectly into the training program and the road to initial operating capability of our first F-35 squadron. Point Blank is a recurring low-cost exercise designed by the 48th Fighter Wing and Royal Air Force with a mission to prepare warfighters for a highly con uh, contested fight against near-peer adversaries. Exercise Point Blank provides UK Combat Air the opportunity to operate alongside the USAF colleagues and in demanding large-scale air wars, said Royal Air Force Air Vice Marshal Alan Marshall, Air Officer Commanding First Group. During this iteration of the exercise, we were joined by F-16s and F-35s from the Dutch Air Force, as well as a NATO E-3A, thus testing our ability to plan and coordinate Across a number of dispersed units in multiple countries. Multilateral exercises like Point Blank increase inoperability or interoperability for collective readiness, uh, deter potential adversaries and ensure the skies within European theatre remain sovereign. These exercises are valuable for ensuring our airmen sharpen their combat readiness and increase tactical proficiency, said Colonel Jason Kimilitari, 48th Fighter Wing Commander. We will continue to safeguard the U.S. national interests and those of our allies and partners throughout this COVID-19 crisis. And these types of exercises we ensure can meet that priority. Well, that hasn't stopped the Russians from flying over here every now and again, has it? No, <laughs> uh, hmm? no, no. That's uh, well, they don't fly over here. They don't get this far, do they? Well, they they kind of sort of <laughs> I was cusp, say. They're on the cusp of our airspace here right. in the UK. Okay, mm. Mm, there we are. Yeah. Mm, don't know what to say to that, Carlos. Uh, <laughs> shall we move on? Mm. Uh, the next. So, Matt. Uh, yes. Yeah. Next one. We're going to, going to Singapore for this next one. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is the uh, nwaonline.com is where the story has come from, and the headline is Fort Smith, Arkansas site is finalist for Singapore pilot training. So, Airman from the Republic of uh, Arkansas. Sorry, others. Is it Arkansas? Arkansas. I'm sorry. It's it's the spelling Arkansas. that tripped me up. Arkansas. My apologies. <laughs> Shall I start that again? Uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas site is finalist for Singapore pilot training. Let's pretend that first bit never happened. Airmen from the Republic of Singapore could one day train with American pilots in Arkansas, um, uh, second city, according to the office of the U.S. Senator Tom Cotton. Uh, Fort Smith Regional Airport has been selected as one of five possible sites to host both F-35 planes and Singapore's F-16 squadron, Cotton's office said. Cotton has advocated for Fort Smith to be included in this economic development and 
um, national security initiative for a long time. Fort Smith is a strong candidate for Singapore's F-16 squadron and future F-35 base. Cotton said in a statement that the United States deeply values our relationship with Singapore and I appreciate the Air Force Secretary Barbara Barrett's consideration of Arkansas as an, a location for our important defence partnership. I look forward to working with the Air Force and the state of Arkansas to ensure that uh, Fort Smith is a welcome location for its vital new national security mission. Uh, similarly, the US uh, representative Steve Womack said in a statement that Fort Smith has everything the Air Force needs uh, for uh, for the training centre. Um, with our... Um, with our strategic location and strong community, we are primed to support our allies and the next generation of air combat capabilities, Womack said. I look forward to working with Secretary Barrett and my fellow Arkansasians uh, as the <laughs> vetting process continues. The River Valley is ready to take on its critical defence mission. Barrett signed a memorandum on the 6th of July to establish a permanent foreign secretary sale, uh, military sales training centre for 24 to 36 F-35 long-term foreign military sales aircraft and Republic of Singapore Air Force F-16s based within the continental United States. Cotton's office said uh, Singapore's Air Force is an F-35 foreign military sales customer and wants to collate, uh, collate its um, F-16 oh, squadron okay. uh, f currently at Luke Air Force Base in Arizona with its F-35 aircraft at a long-term site. Matt, so this is one of the things, thank you for reading that, Matt. I know these military stories are are super acronym heavy it's because um, i'm a muppet that's the only way i just i just i i i i yeah i throw myself under a bus every time i read any story out frankly so there we go <laughs> the uh well you'll be happy to know that captain nick also cannot pronounce arkansas he also says arkansas <laughs> oh good i'm pleased weirdly that's very comforting <laughs> sorry what did you say nev I just think he does it on purpose. He knows exactly what he's saying. Yes, I, I suspect. <laughs> Which is what Matt was doing, right? He yeah, was certainly yeah, doing yeah. it on purpose. I would love to say that. I, I, I just don't have the knowledge to be able to carry that off. It's all right. I'll, I'll take it. I know I'm a Muppet. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I cannot even begin to tell you how many British names I have completely yeah. murdered. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about Wyndham, shall we? Or Wymundham, yeah. as it's actually Wymundham. spelled. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> this is, uh, Tanya this says story everybody loves just... Muppet. I love you, Tanya. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, real quick, just a quick commentary on this story. This is uh, something that, that a lot of people don't know unless you've been in the military, but a lot of our, uh, so our total force for the military, for whatever service it is, it's active duty, uh, National Guard and reserves, and sometimes the auxiliaries. So a lot of times the National Guard, which is a state-run, federally-funded operation, uh, they have these partnerships, these international partnerships um, with other countries. So it's some, it's often surprising where you hear that North Dakota has a partnership with Ghana or South Carolina has a strategic military partnership with the Philippines or something like that. So these uh, generally go under the radar, but there is a long history of, of foreign militaries training here in the U.S. with U.S. instructors 
Um, so having the Singapore airport, 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 the Singapore Air Force come over to the U.S. and train in Arkansas, especially at this, it takes so much coordination. A lot of it has to go through Congress. The, the military is a civilian-controlled military-led operation. Therefore, at the end of the day, we are not just responsible to the American people, but also to Congress and the president. So it takes a lot of coordination. And these um, Congress uh, congressmen that, that, that usually work for years to get something like this into their state. So um, this, is, this is great. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, it just helps the, the, the diversity in some of these communities. Mm-hmm. You know, Northwest Arkansas is, is pretty rural. To, so to have a contingent of uh, Singapore um, Air Force, uh, you know, individuals in the area is uh, probably going to make the place better. Absolutely agree. Before we move on to the last story, which I believe you have, Neb, uh, I'm just going to share with uh, with you uh, a message that uh, Pippa's just put in uh, the chat room here, actually. And he was saying, good news from SafeJets today. They've announced the immediate rehire of all 200-ish pilots and cabin crew that were made redundant a few months back. Uh, they even get to keep their redundancy payouts. How cool is that? That's, very that, good that's a that's a very positive um, message. I hope people don't mind me sharing that. Sorry to interrupt uh, the military there, but uh, that's really that's that's mm. that's the first bit of decent news we've had a lot for a long time in aviation. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's good news. Very good news. Let's hope that. Well, let's, good, hope that's you know, the resonates around yeah, the whole of the whole uh, industry. Things, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. So it's safe to say we've saved the best military story oh, yes. for Nev for last. So Nev. Take it away. You know, at the end of the news bulletins, they try, to, they try to find a funny, <laughs> don't they? And this is one of those, and finally, ones. Uh, this is from the uh, LondonGlobe.com. It says that an of Puma flew to the rescue after numerous attempts by animal charities um, because uh, a cow got stuck in a muddy riverbank. And the Coast Guard failed to bring the cow to safety. Uh, but uh, Adam uh, Wardrobe, who's the station commander at RAF Benson, said, clearly we don't specialise in lifting ca- uh, cows. However, supporting the lo- local community is really valuable training for our crews. And uh, the RAF base at Benson was so excited about it, uh, they tweeted, last we heard... H-E-R-D. She's being looked after and is recovering after her, her unusual movement. Uh, just because we're military doesn't mean we don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> that, that was a sense of humor. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Good to know. Tanya's just said in the chat room, holy cow. Yes, I'm really sorry, guys. There's some great pictures to go with this, and they're not loading for some reason. I'm trying really hard to get them to load, Uh, but they they won't go. Well, just just picture a cow hanging from a helicopter. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, Unfortunately, only one out of the five pictures that were in the folder have loaded for some reason. I don't know why. Well, it's good that the Royal Air Force are, you know, they're, you know, Doing good things. Uh, yeah, Doing I mean that—that's a—that's a—that's a word. Yeah, well, there'll be a link link to it in the in the show. I'll try, uh, you know, just chat amongst yourselves for a minute. I'll try. I'll try and get the pictures. Richard back. Uh, Adams in the chat room says uh, jokes being made up on the hoof. <laughs> oh, <laughs> keep them coming. Keep them coming. Goodness, Actually, come on, Nev. Yeah. Nev, you're the you're the king. <laughs> oh of, yeah, but of the these. Is, yeah, I, I normally rehearse my material. I can't just sort of come. <laughs> 
Yeah. My goodness me, the stuff that falls out of your mouth is rehearsed? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> or plagiarised from somebody else. <laughs> Honestly, anyone would think Matt's got beef with this story. Hey. Yeah, I see. I see. I see oh, what you boy. did there. That's that's fine. Yes, I've, uh, it would appear that my my show notes have stopped syncing now, so I'm not even getting the picture. Shall we just else? shall we just move no, on? No, 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 no. I I'm gonna make us all suffer now. I don't care. Um, it's, uh, oh, for goodness sake. Here we, You're really milking this story, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, okay, everyone, stop now. That, that's this. No, it's uh, everything's everything. Uh, Matt, why don't you try the other one? <laughs> I don't even want to dignify that with a response. I don't even know what's, oh I don't know what's happened. Okay, uh, it's it's just like... I, I, no. Richard Adams makes a good comment in the chat room, but I'll leave Matt to read that one. Oh, oh really? Hang on. Uh, <laughs> just everybody talking about... Just, no, nothing's working in the studio. I'm really sorry. Um, so it's... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to just say it. I can't really. Uh, actually, Nev's quite um, articulate. <laughs> we'll let him read that comment from Richard Adams. I think he, he's probably trying to say we're just talking bullocks. As, as <laughs> we'll go with bullocks. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a bit um, more like it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh well, never mind. Maybe maybe everything will come back together because apparently there was some. Pe- uh, oh, here we go. Hang on. I, th- I think we might have we we might have something. Everyone. Um, here we go. I just got just because I've made everybody wait. We'll go with one picture. All right. Here we go. Uh, I'll try and get it to come up on screen. It's like you know, it's uh, nobody will agree that this was worth the wait. Now, uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Hey, I go. There we go. Look. <laughs> There's a cow hanging oh, from a rope boy. in a riverbank. I, I mean, <laughs> pretty much what it looks like. That's pretty much it, everyone. Yeah, that's. Uh, I believe you can also watch the documentary uh, Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> Good aviation movie. No, that's not a documentary. It's a, it's a terrible movie, actually. I have- but go watch it anyways, because we're in quarantine and nobody else has. Okay, right. Okay, our producer's waiting oh, no. here at the moment. Lane Street. Um, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for it to come up. There's no um... Lane Street. Oh, is in the chat room. Uh, hate to see the uh, delays with so much at stake. All right. I feel like we should just put everybody out of their misery and let's go to the next segment. Yeah. So for the next segment, because uh, um, Matt's obviously busy frantically loading this one up. So uh, for the next segment, we are going to go for our sixth part because I know we've had some great feedback all about the plain truth segment. So this is episode number six where uh, there Matt and Captain Al are going to be talking about what happens when the captain has the fish curry. Hello and welcome to another Plain Truce. And today we're going to be talking about pilot incapacitation. Joining me today is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Yes, I survived another week, as they say. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> That's all we you can and do. Me both. Yeah, absolutely. It's all we can do at the moment. Now, I'm, I'm going to say that the phrase to you here, uh, what happens if the pilot ate the fish? <laughs> 
So, uh, really, I want to know, in the event of an incident, uh, what what happens basically if you, uh, either the captain or the co-pilot, uh, the uh, first officer, uh, is taken ill. Uh, what what are the procedures involved in that? I mean, presumably, uh, there's two people in the cockpit for a reason. Absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. So we'll just play the opening. Sorry, end titles, and away we go. Right. No, there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, so yeah, uh, two pilots uh, to, as a minimum, uh, to largely uh, mitigate the effects that you've just talked about, which is one of the pilots becoming incapacitated. Now, as it so happens, people tend to think about things like heart attacks, which are obviously pretty serious. Let's not belittle that, but it's actually food poisoning is the most common cause for incapacitation. And it's not a myth. We do eat separate meals. So for airlines that provide catering, you will be provided some form of menu or selection. And the two pilots or three pilots, if there are more than two, occasionally there are four, but we'll keep it simple the pilots will choose individual meals so there'll be very little crossover. Now it may be that one pilot might have the chicken curry and one pilot might have roast chicken, but those food production lines are entirely separate and will almost certainly be made on different days, maybe in different facilities. So if we have a pilot who becomes incapacitated, then assuming that uh, they are still alive, that pilot will take no further part in the operation of the flight. They may well remove themselves from the flight deck or if necessary, be removed and the other pilot will take over. Now, it's probably fair to say that aircraft of a large size, a bit like the one behind me, if you're viewing this on YouTube, are designed for two pilot operation but it's perfectly safe for one pilot to operate the aircraft. And indeed, it's something that we practice as part of our recurrent SIM checks. So the important thing to realize is that there's always going to be at least two pilots available. And we take a lot of measures to prevent pilots from becoming ill. So I've talked a little bit about food preparation. There are also guidelines to pilots with regards to, say, for example, not eating uh, shellfish prior to a duty. We all know that shellfish can be a little bit dodgy in certain times of the year uh, if they're not kept well, if they're fresh, or indeed if they're not uh, managed well if they're frozen. So High-risk foods we attempt to eliminate before duties. Uh, generally speaking, most airlines encourage their staff to eat the airline prepared food, so try to avoid uh, the catering facilities in the airport, and uh, to try to have a fairly good food hygiene whilst on board. We do occasionally have, unfortunately, pilots who become incapacitated due to medical conditions, like a heart attack. So, of course, the cabin crew will deal with trying to preserve life. Um, and as I said, two pilots, one perfectly capable of operating the aeroplane on their own. 
So in, in that instance, say somebody has been uh, incapacitated, would then, if for, let's say, for example, it's the captain, so it's the captain that's been taken poorly, the first officer obviously now assumes command of, of the vessel, for want of a better word, uh, would yeah. they need to stay where they are and stay in the right seat, or would they need to move into the captain's seat? That's a really, really good question. Uh, they would stay where they are, because it would be akin to someone who drives a vehicle with uh, right-hand drive, suddenly just throwing themselves into the other seat and trying to work out exactly where everything is. So when we are checked by the airline in the sim, uh, most of us will be checked in our chosen seat. So a captain will be in the left, a co-pilot in the right. So no, there's no seat shuffling if a pilot becomes incapacitated. Stay where you are. So uh, the, the other question, and the reason why I suppose I'm asking that is because I know obviously at our 200th, we were very lucky that we all went to go and have a go in a, the 737, didn't we, over in, yes. in Putney there. Uh, now, one of the things I do remember from sitting in the captain's seat to be, you know, the one in charge, is there was a certain little wheel that you had to use in order to steer um, the, the vehicle once it was on, on the tarmac. So, I mean, what would happen there? Okay, so on Boeing's... Uh, as the 737 is, you can have a tiller for steering the aeroplane when it's on the ground on both sides of the cockpit if you pay extra. On the Airbus product, it comes as standard. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so if you're travelling on a Boeing <laughs> yes. and the captain becomes incapacitated, probably what will happen is the aircraft will land either stay on the runway or just vacate the runway onto the taxiway uh, because we do have a degree of nose wheel steering with our feet, but it's only a small amount. And then basically the aeroplane would be brought to a halt and a tug would then be required to tow the aircraft to its final parking position. On an Airbus, uh, the co-pilot has the technical capability to control the aeroplane, to taxi the aeroplane on the ground. Some airlines, however, don't have their first officer's taxi. So it kind of a bit of an insurance aspect. So some airlines allow their first officers to taxi the aeroplane normally and under abnormal circumstances. Some airlines will say you can only taxi under extreme circumstances. And others will say, OK, no, you just don't taxi the aeroplane. So uh, many years ago when I worked for Monarch Airlines, uh, there was one such event where the captain became incapacitated. Uh, it wasn't food poisoning. It wasn't a heart attack. It was some sort of viral event. And he felt pretty unwell. So he actually uh, relieved himself of duty. He walked out of the flight deck with some assistance, sat in row one. And the first officer did a fantastic job. And he landed the aircraft and just brought the aircraft to a halt on the runway shut the engines down and they towed the aeroplane off the runway and flaps all around. And, um, yeah, the captain was taken off to hospital, spent a couple of nights there and uh, made a full recovery. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, obviously I, I have to ask the question here. Uh, I mean, I presume these are very rare events. I mean, this is perhaps not that, that some uh, first officers and captains perhaps don't experience in their entire career a situation where they end up in charge of the aircraft on their own. Absolutely. Uh, I think I've got just around about 14,000 hours of flying now and I have experienced incapacitation once where I had a first officer 
who about an hour before landing said, look, I just don't feel very well. I'll be okay. So I said, okay, well, I'll speak to you again in about 10 minutes. Just, you know, take a break. See how you feel in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes down the line, he said, oh, I just don't feel well. I said, okay, no problems. So you just, you know, push your seat back, uh, take your headset off, and, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it from here. Uh, obviously, we've got the cabin crew to look him. He just had a a bug, shall we say. Um, it wasn't full-on food poisoning, but he, he was a bit clammy. He just uh, didn't feel quite right. So, no, they're not very common events at all. So that's, uh, well, I'm going to fly now. To, so that's one event in 20 years, and typically I fly more often than the average person. So, uh, you know, obviously from a nervous flyer's point of view, which is what this is, this uh, these segments are all about, essentially, it is, as you say, perfectly safe for the first officer or the captain to be in charge of, for example, an A320 uh, on their own. Absolutely. I think the key thing to take away is the fact that you have two or more pilots. Right. So from a licensing point of view, we are the same. Typically, the captain will just have more experience. So any of the pilots who are operating pilots have the ability and capability to land the aeroplane on their own. Captain L, thank you. I'm enjoying doing these. I have so much fun recording these with Captain Al. You must be really proud, actually, Matt, because of the feedback that we've had from um, from not only listeners but also close friends and family and stuff about how well this uh, segment is going. So, um, I mean, yeah, well I, done. I, I'm I'm hugely proud of everything that the Plain Talking UK podcast does. I mean, I can't take any credit for it other than the fact that I sit here and press the record button. Uh, you know, the the success of uh, and the interest is is all down to al so genuinely guys if you would love to get your questions answered uh, just uh, pop them in the chat room ping us an email uh, send us a whatsapp plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six that's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six it's podcast at plain talking uk.com is the email address uh, send in your questions and al will answer them for you when we do our next recording session for the plain truth so anybody who might be interested we've had uh, some people who've expressed an interest in being able to access said uh, Plain Truths as a podcast. So we have basically set that up. If you search for uh, your podcatcher for the, um, the Plain Truths, uh, Plain Truth, no S on the end, Plain Truth, um, you can get it from Anchor, you can get it from Spotify. Uh, hopefully it'll be available from iTunes any day now. Um, but most uh, of your average, uh, your standard podcatchers, it is available. So search for The Plain truth um and uh, you can actually download them as little individual podcasts uh, to have a listen to as well but as i say my thanks has to go to captain al who is so generous with his time and it's brilliant because you just give him a question and he knows what people want to know it's just fantastic yes so uh yeah thanks for that matt any ideas of what uh, is going to be in next week's one there's any little teasers i can't remember but i'm sure producer Ooh. john will tell me in just a moment i can't remember <laughs> so uh we're gonna uh, speak to armando now armando what's uh, coming up on next week's show so this morning i got a chance to talk with one of my longtime friends john uh, john was the uh, representative uh, pilot union representative to the NTSB investigation for the Atlas Air 3591 crash in Houston last year. So we recorded a segment this morning. Um, we're really going to just stick to 
the results of the investigation and, and uh, save the, the process, the actual process of the investigation for a little bit later, because that's something that, that I think would be really interesting to hear about. But uh, rather than all of us in the podcast community, all of us hosts speculating and doing sort of our own analysis, we're going to hear it from, from the man himself that was involved in the investigation. So um, that'll be a 39 minute segment that will air out next week. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm really looking you know, forward to that. It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So social media links for the show then, just in case you don't know, Facebook, Instagram, search for us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Plain Talking UK. Don't forget that all-important WhatsApp number as well. If you want to send us uh, any audio feedback or pictures or any messages at all about the show, what you want to hear, you can send us that via our WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. And don't forget, you can also send your pictures to have on the green screen behind Matt in the PTUK studios. Also, don't forget the website, allaws.plaintalkinguk.com. You can go over there and you can find our shop on there. It, I'm pleased to say that the T-shirts are selling really well. We've, we've sent another one out this week to uh, the US, actually. That's on its way there now to uh, to Sue. So uh, hopefully you'll get that soon. So, so that's going out there. So you can click on there and close the shop. And you can also get yourself a PTUK mug if you want uh, to mm-hmm. have one of the bar. PTUK mugs, you can click on the link there and get yourself one of those as well and uh, be one of the, the few that have those mugs. It's really good. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you'll get notifications when we go live, and you can also help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room each week. Uh, so take yourselves, don't forget, over to youtube.com if you're listening via the audio podcast, and click on the subscribe button, and don't forget that all-important bell as well to click on to notify you when we go live. On the website as well, the all-important links for Amazon. If you do your shopping with Amazon, which I'm sure we all do, uh, click on that link. That will take you to our the Amazon page, uh, which is linked to the show. You can do your shopping. It doesn't cost you anything, but it also it gives us a little referral fee for that as well. And also, don't forget, on the links on the website for Patreon and PayPal. So if you want to help, uh, well, help us to uh, bring you the show each week, you can click on the PayPal link and the Patreon link and uh, join all our awesome Patreon donators who help to do what we do each week. There was a question actually from from Tony who was asking that uh, uh, we've got a, a, an answer from Amazon basically. So if you, if you are using our link, you need to l- click on the link and then load your basket in order for it to qualify. Uh, it, it sort of only works on qualifying purchases. So uh, if you are going to very kindly do your shopping using Amazon, make sure you click on the link first and then load your basket with uh, the items that you want to use, that you want to buy. It's good. I like that link. Mm. I use it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we had another payout uh, this week. So uh, thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Do you have? Do you ever actually, Matt, on the, on the subject? Of no, I'm not going to finish, look. Do you ever want, look? No, you need to. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I am. I am so terrified about looking about what. I, 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 yeah, no, is the short answer. <laughs> so that is uh, where we're going to bring episode number three hundred and twenty-eight to a close. Massive thanks to everyone who's joined us in the chat room tonight. Big thank you to you all and to everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast as well. Mm. So have a great weekend, whatever you're doing. Stay Nev, safe. Nev, Nev, what are you up to this week? Anything fun? Nev. What are you doing? Back to work full time. I'm pleased to say Monday, so that's great news. Uh, Not much flying just yet, but that will come, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Carlos, what are you up to? 
Uh, this week I shall be Warehouse Base Monday, which is great. Yeah, Ooh, get to be in my office again. And all the rest of the week I'll be driving the lorry. Uh, never yes. mind. Armando, what are you up to? Deathly silence. Excellent. Deathly right. silence. <laughs> Actually, yeah, the opposite of last week between now and the next recording, I have five days of flying and one day of reserve. So oh, very cool. Busy. Oh, busy, busy time for Armando. And uh, I'll be attempting to sell wine. So there we are. That's it. That's, my, that's everybody's weeks in a nutshell. <laughs> so that's it then. Uh, before we go, big thanks to our producer, John, for all his work in the background. As always, big round of applause to you. Thank you, Woo. John, for everything. Yeah. And that's it then, episode 328 in the can. Thanks, everyone. Take care. So from me, Carlos, here in my home studio. From Matt, in the PTUK Master Studio. From Nev, in his Buckinghamshire studio. And from Armando, over in his Charlotte studio. Take care. Have a great weekend. And goodbye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.